0: With multiple young starting pitchers getting close to surpassing their all-time numbers of innings pitch in a season, the Orioles have gone to a six-man rotation. But what else can they do to work against these potential arms getting tired? I'll answer that and more coming up on a mailbag episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are locked on Orioles your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Wednesday, August 16th, 2023, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are opening up the mailbag. Nine questions to get to all from you, the listeners, spanning topics like Orioles starting pitcher workloads, the potential to re-sign a guy like Jack Flaherty, what D.L. Hall's role will look like, some extensions for Gunnar Henderson and Adley Rutschman, and much, much more. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast. Before we get there, Just did want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms, and we're right here on YouTube. So make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked on Orioles YouTube channel. And as I talked about on yesterday's episode, we've got a giveaway going on on the YouTube channel right now. To thank you all, the everydayers out there and everyone in between who has helped me surpass 4,000 subscribers on YouTube, we've got a giveaway going. Here on the pod, basically every 1000 subscribers that I hit, we've done a giveaway. Well, this one, there it is. It is the Orioles soccer Jersey The size, medium giveaway Orioles soccer Jersey from 2023 with the white and orange stripes. That is the giveaway. So you got to do two things to be entered to win the Orioles soccer Jersey. Number one, subscribe to the locked on Orioles podcast on YouTube. Number two put a comment on either today's video or any video this week on the YouTube channel telling me what your favorite Orioles win of the season has been so far and why. So again, subscribe to the channel, comment with your favorite win and why, and you'll be entered to win the Orioles soccer jersey. Entries will close Friday at midnight. I will announce the winner on Monday's episode. Again, that is to thank you all for making Locked on Orioles Your first listen of the day. For your first listen today, it is a mailbag episode. Now, you may notice the Orioles played a baseball game last night. Game 2 of 3 in San Diego against the Padres. And you may notice I am not doing a recap of that game. Well, if you listen to Tuesday's episode, you kind of know the deal. If not, the lowdown is these West Coast games are tough. Back-to-back 9.40 p.m. Eastern time starts. So, with Tuesday's episode, I just... Couldn't do the recap. Not able to stay up late enough to watch the whole game, record the show, edit the show, post the show, and then get up to go to my 9-to-5 job and not be incredibly tired. Just the West Coast trips in the midweek make that tough. So, just like yesterday's episode, there will be no recap of last night's game. Instead, we'll do a full mailbag. And then coming up on tomorrow's episode, because the game does start an hour early, that helps me out a lot. I will recap the entire three-game series between the Orioles and the Padres. One thing I do know right now as I record here on Tuesday evening, the Orioles did win 4-1 on Monday night. Grayson Rodriguez was awesome. His, maybe his best start in the majors was seven strong innings. And Gunnar Henderson cleared the bases. Ryan Horn homered, and the Orioles won game one. Now 78 consecutive series without being swept. That's great. But I'll recap it all again on Thursday's episode. So let's instead jump into the mailbag. Again, I've got nine questions to get to. All from you, the listeners question. Number one comes from Craig on Twitter who asks, who would be your A bullpen and your B bullpen if none of the A guys were ready in terms of seventh, eighth, and ninth innings for the Orioles down the stretch. Let's start with my A bullpen right now. This might be a little surprising in the ninth inning. Obviously Felix Bautista is my A bullpen in the eighth inning right now. I know he's a roller coaster. I would give it to Shintaro Fujinami. I think when he's good, like we saw Sunday, like we saw last Sunday against the Mets, he's eighth inning material. That stuff is electric. When he's bad, it's walks, and he's really bad. I get it. It's it's a tough sell to put him in the eighth, but I think I'd give him the eighth inning. And the seventh inning right now in my A bullpen, as surprising as it is, is Jacob Webb. I mean, he's basically been untouchable in the four appearances he's had since he joined the Orioles when they claimed him off waivers from the Angels last week. I can't believe the Angels DFA'd him, one, and two. Remember, the Orioles had the second best record in baseball. They're right at the end of the waiver wire. Every other team but the Braves got a shot to claim Webb before the Orioles did, and no one did. The Orioles had to be shocked by that, but they got him. I'd put him in the seventh inning right now. Just ride the hot hand. Now, if none of those guys were available, here's how I'd do the end of the game. At that point, that's where Yenier Cano would come in. I still trust him somewhat. He's still a good reliever, but it's been a little shaky lately. You could argue, yeah, he should be above Webb and Fujinami, and I get it. But he would be my ninth inning guy if none of those three were available. Mike Bauman would be my eighth inning guy. I know he didn't look great trying to save the game Sunday, but he's been good in the middle innings. And then CNL Perez, who has pitched much better lately, would be the seventh inning guy. The only reliever I didn't mention there would be Nick Vespi, not in either of those groups. And that's just in terms of the seven relievers who are currently on the active roster. Next question comes from Josh on Twitter, who asks, would you try to sign Jack Flaherty to an extension this offseason? Of course, Flaherty, who the Orioles acquired from the St. Louis Cardinals at the deadline, is a impending free agent. He was a rental. Now, remember, as I'm recording this, I did not see any of Flaherty's start Tuesday night against the Padres. So what I have to go off of is his two starts in an Oriole uniform, which were six strong in Toronto and then five okay innings at home against Houston. That's what I've seen so far from Flaherty as I record. Again, this is not going to account for the Tuesday night start in San Diego. But at this point, I would at least try. I mean, if you're going to add a veteran starting pitcher to this rotation, and you know whether or not the Orioles would bring back Kyle Gibson is kind of a different question. But I think if you're going 35-year-old Kyle Gibson versus 28-year-old Jack Flaherty, you're going to, although he's going to be more expensive, at least lean towards Flaherty, I would think if you're going to bring back a veteran. Now, starting pitchers on the open market, especially guys who have had success in the past and are still in their 20s, are going to be expensive. But I would throw something like an offer of three years, $60 million at Jack Flaherty and see if he liked his half season in Baltimore, see if he bites and see if he takes it. If he doesn't, he doesn't. He goes on his way. But we shall see. You could even you know, throw the qualifying offer at him. If he accepts it, it's one year, $18 million. I wouldn't mind him coming back. If he doesn't, you get a draft pick. We know the Orioles would want to do that. Now, I don't think Angelos is going to try to throw out $60 million to anybody, but that's what I would do. And if you got him back, you know, you'd know you have Grayson Rodriguez, Kyle Bradish, Dean Kramer, Tyler Wells, John Means, Jack Flaherty, Cole Irvin, all as potential starting pitchers going into next year. That would be some good depth heading into 2024. Next question comes from Roy on Twitter, who asks, a question I get asked a lot on the mailbag, but it's always good to update the answer. What does D.L. Hall's future look like with the Orioles at this point? And I've kind of talked about over the last few weeks or so, and maybe the last few months, that my official D.L. Hall position has really kind of changed recently, and and now it's it's set in stone. Not only do I think D.L. Hall is going to join the Orioles' bullpen at some point here, I think at the very latest he'll be the September 1st roster expansion call-up reliever, and he could certainly be here sooner for the Orioles. But I think his long-term outlook has now officially changed to a reliever. I was still holding out hope, still a believer as DL Hall as a starter, and it could still happen. Not gonna completely roll it out that he could have a future as a starting pitcher. But I just think the stuff with the command issues he has at times, just with what the Orioles need right now on the roster, who he could be if he really dedicates himself to being a reliever, that stuff could play up even more. I'm putting him in the bullpen long term. I'm giving him, you know, a full four or five weeks in the pen. In September, maybe he makes a playoff roster in the bullpen. You get to really see him air it out as a reliever, and I think I would send him into spring training 2024 as a relief pitcher. Let him rear it up, put him in the bullpen, and let him be a reliever all of next year and beyond. That that at this point would be my plan for DL Hall. We got six more questions to get to here on a mailbag episode. Coming up next, we'll talk a bit about how the O should manage the workload for their starters down the stretch. As You know, some arms may start to get tired for these young guys. We'll talk about what other relievers or pitchers in general who are with the Norfolk Tides right now could help the O's down the stretch. And then a little question about Adley Rutschman and pitch calling with some of the pitchers he works with. That is all coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Bunches. Bunches is a social community where you can talk about sports with your fans in real time. A bunch is just a group chat for sports fans. Bunches is partnering with Locked On MLB to allow you to chat with us. So Lockdown Orioles fans, I have to tell you about a new app called Bunches. Bunches is a new app built just for sports fans where you can chat sports in real time. Click the link in the show notes, the description, to join the app or go to the Apple app store and download bunches. Now I'm telling you, you're going to love the conversations with other locked on sports fans. This is where fans go to chat. You have questions or comments about today's episode chat about it right in the locked on MLB bunch on bunches. So download the bunches app today. And when you do our friends at bunches have featured the locked on MLB bunch in the discover tab. You can also click the link in the description and show notes to join the Locked on MLB Bunch community today. So we're back here on a mailbag episode of the podcast. Six more questions to get to all from you, the listeners. And we'll start here with our fourth question of the day. It comes from JR on Twitter. How should the Orioles manage the workload for their rotation down the stretch? And it's an interesting question because the Orioles have already kind of taken step one at this, right? They have gone to a six-man rotation. They have entered... Cole Irvin in the rotation pitched very well. Five scoreless innings in Seattle on Saturday in his first start back. And it gives everybody else an extra day of rest when you are going with a six-man rotation. And that helps when really everybody else but Kyle Gibson, you have to monitor the innings and the pitches and the stress on the arm a little bit. Because these are all guys who haven't really pitched this many innings, pitched this deep into a season. I mean, Gibson's fine. He's an innings eater. Irvin, especially because he hasn't pitched as much this year, will be completely fine. He's an innings eater. Jack Flaherty's interesting because, yes, in the past he's gotten close to 200 innings, but he struggled with some injuries over the last few years and hasn't really done it since then. So you don't worry as much about Flaherty as you do with guys like Bradish and Kramer, but you still do monitor it as well. And then, of course, there's Kyle Braddish, Dean Kramer, and Grayson Rodriguez, guys who, you know, all are at this point hitting what their previous highs were for innings in a professional season. So as we get you know late into August and into September, you have to monitor that. Now the six-man rotation helps, giving them you know that one day off, but they're still going to pitch every six days and still going to make a good amount of starts by the end of the year. I think as we get closer and into September, the O's will do even more things than the six-man rotation to keep these guys fresh and in that rotation. One thing could be, some shortened starts, or some skipped starts. And I think guys like John Means, like Tyler Wells, even a D.L. Hall, or even potentially like an Austin Voth, or, I mean, if things got really bad, like a Keegan Aiken, could all kind of help the Orioles in this sense, where you could have those guys on the roster, and, you know, you're going a six-man rotation, and then it's Dean Kramer's day. But you're saying, Dean, you're only going four innings today. That is it and Dean kind of airs it out for four innings, and then you bring in John Means and say, give us two or three innings out of the bullpen. Then one day with Kyle Bradish, you say, Kyle, only four innings today, and you got Tyler Wells right there for three innings to back him up. Then one day, Grayson Rodriguez, only four innings today, and you got D.L. Hall there to piggyback on him for two innings before you get to the back end of the bullpen. I can also see some skipped starts where guys like Means and Wells would kind of fill in for them and make some starts. The other thing you can do is you can just, when you have a six-man rotation, You can skip the starts completely. Like if the Orioles just wanted to say, you know what? We're going to skip Grayson Rodriguez's next start. He's scheduled to start in Oakland this weekend. We are going to completely skip his start. Well, the fact that you have the six-man rotation and you have the off day on Thursday this week means you don't have to fill in that spot. You can just move everybody back up and go with a five-man rotation for one turn and then pop Grayson back in there and go back to six. That's another thing you can do To kind of limit those innings. So I think all three of those guys, Bradish, Kramer, and Rodriguez, will have at least one start skipped. And may have at least one start shortened. Like, hey, you're not going any further than four innings today. Just to manage the workload. Now, Mike Elias has said multiple times on the record that, hey, there's no science to back up. That, you know, these innings limits help pitchers' arms and avoid injury. And that's true. There isn't really no hard data and hard science on that. So it's a balance. Like They're not going to limit the innings, it seems, specifically, but they're going to try and take the pressure off a little bit. I think that's a way that the Orioles can do this down the stretch here because they do have some reinforcements coming in terms of starters, and that will certainly help. Next question comes from Sam on Twitter, who asks, other than D.L. Hall, who from the Norfolk Tides pitching staff would you add to the bullpen if you had to add one to help the team in the stretch run? Now, my answer is kind of the easy answer. My answer would be Brian Baker. He's been with the bullpen most of the last two years. I still b- believe Brian Baker will come back and help this Orioles team. He's looked a little better in his last couple of outings out of the pen in AAA Norfolk, kind of getting that change up back, getting back to the Brian Baker we saw you know, at times this year and especially the last two months of last year when he was you know, maybe the best Orioles reliever, not named Felix Bautista. He's got good stuff. He can help this team. But in the non-Brian Baker division, the more like off the radar a little bit, not a guy who's been with the team all year. That's Brian Baker. I'm going to say Chase McDermott. Now, McDermott is pitching as I speak right now here on Tuesday night for the Norfolk Tides, making another start. So these stats won't include McDermott's start on Tuesday night. But McDermott, one of the right-handers who the Orioles acquired in the Trey Mancini trade from the Houston Astros last year at the deadline, he's been awesome this year. Got called up to AAA Norfolk twice already, has been the International League Pitcher of the Week. Since he got called up and entering his start Tuesday, McDermott in 24 innings in AAA Norfolk had a 1.88 ERA, just nine hits allowed in 24 innings to go along with 31 strikeouts to just 11 walks. And that's what the stuff looks like as a starting pitcher when he's trying to air it out and go five, six innings every night. You give him the ball and say, give us one inning. He already throws, you know, 95, 96, 97, a couple of wipeout breaking balls and a really good and developing changeup. You say "Hey, aired out for an inning or two, McDermott, if the O's have some injuries, just some ineffectiveness, just need a guy with nasty stuff, he could help them down the stretch this year. Next question comes from Tim via email who asks, does Adley Rutchman call all the pitches when he is catching for the Orioles? This is actually a good question because, you know, I think the assumption is that, you know, as you get old enough, maybe into high school, maybe into college, that, you know, mostly catchers are calling all the pitches, especially in the major leagues. It is interesting with the pitch com. So you, you kind of see the catcher, you know, they'll take their glove, they'll put it over their knee. Well, really their thigh, because on the thigh, right at the top of their leg guards, is the little mechanism, the buttons, where they push in what pitch they want, where they want it. It goes to the pitch com receiver that's sitting in the pitcher's hat, and they hear the pitch. They either say yes, or they shake it off, and the catcher will put in another sign. Now, Adley is calling most pitches, and we get this a lot about, you know, why did Adley call this pitch? Why did the pitcher throw this pitch? Why did they decide to throw this pitch? It's Adley calling most pitches. He's awesome. The Orioles fully trust him to do that behind the plate. But some of the O's veteran pitchers, as it's like around the league for a lot of other veteran arms, will call their own pitches. Last year, Major League Baseball also allowed pitchers to wear a pitch device. So some pitchers, and I believe Kyle Gibson does this at least some of the time, will wear like the little monitor on his wrist, He will punch in the pitch. Adley will hear it because it'll be in his helmet. He'll hear, okay, this is where Kyle wants to throw it. This is what he wants to throw. And then Adley will get ready to receive that pitch. So Adley's not calling every single pitch that an Orioles pitcher throws, but he is most of the time that he's back there. But a good question there from Tim. We've got three more mailbag questions to get to on this episode, including a question about an extension for the previously mentioned Adley Rutschman and maybe Gunnar Henderson the rookie eligibility of Colton Kowser now that he's been sent down to AAA Norfolk, and a fun question about taking some players from the dark years and adding them to this 2023 Orioles team. I'll answer those to finish off the pod coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is also brought to you by eBay Motors. For a championship team, it's all about making sure every player After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. So get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So we're back here on a mailbag episode of the podcast. I've got three more questions to get to here on the mailbag. But first, despite the fact that I, you know, was unable to recap the first couple of games of this series because of the lateness of the starts. Game three is tonight between the Orioles and the Padres. I do know they won game one 4-1, to one, so either the Orioles are going for the sweep or the Orioles are going for the series win here in tonight's game three. It's a little bit of an earlier start, which is really nice. Instead of 9.40, it's an 8.40 p.m. Eastern time start tonight. And Dean Kramer will take the ball for the Orioles, the right-hander, with a 4-5-0 ERA and 24 starts this season, coming off a good one against Houston, seven innings of two-run ball. And Kramer, as long as Manny Machado's in the lineup, will get to face the guy he was traded for for the first time. On the other side, it's the Padres ace, Blake Snell, who the O's or the Padres, excuse me, decided to hold on to at the deadline. The 30-year-old lefty has been tremendous this year. 24 starts, a 2.63 ERA, 171 strikeouts in 130 innings. He's been magnificent. Last start against Arizona, 6 innings, 2 runs and 7 strikeouts against the D-backs should be a good one in game 3 tonight. And you can catch every pitch of the Orioles hometown radio broadcast between the Orioles and the Padres in the final game of the series tonight with the SXM app through SiriusXM. Just download the app and search Orioles. But I got 3 more. Mailbag questions to get to before we finish off the pod. This question came from Frank on Twitter, but many others asked this as well. Any chance the Orioles extend Gunnar Henderson or Adley Rutschman this offseason? And if you had to, which player would you prioritize in terms of an extension? So first of all, yes, I think there's a chance. The Orioles should certainly be talking to Adley Gunnar and their agents. They should continuously be talking to those guys. But between the fact that those guys know they can get a payday And John Angelos is not throwing around any money for anything. He's too worried about, you know, Kevin Brown stating facts on the air or somebody wearing an Orioles polo. I am not convinced he's going to extend these guys this offseason. But if I were in charge, I had the money and I was making the decision, I think I would actually prioritize Gunnar Henderson. Not that Adley's not amazing, because he is. But as Adley catches more and more and ages more and more, I think when you compare the two, like what they'll be when they hit free agency... I think Gunnar Henderson will be more expensive when he hits free agency than Adley will just because, you know, some of the wear and tear on Adley's body while he's catching will wear him down a little bit. And Adley's older, right? He came up at 25. Gunnar came up last year at at basically 20, 21 years old. So Gunnar's going to hit free agency much younger. He plays also a premium position at shortstop. Adley catches, but Gunnar won't have as much wear and tear on his body. I think Gunnar's bat overall is better and has a higher ceiling than Adley's does as well. So I think overall, I would actually prioritize Gunner now because in the long run, he'll be more expensive than Adley, so it'll be a bigger money saver for the O's to try and lock him up at the moment. But again, they need to extend both these guys as soon as possible. I just have no trust in John Angelos to do anything that makes sense, let alone shell out some money for the Orioles' best two players. Next question comes from Dave on Twitter who asks, with Colton Kowser going down, does he maintain... 2024 rookie eligibility at this point. So the question kind of stems from the fact that you know if you do finish top two in rookie of the year voting, your team is awarded a draft pick of some sort if the player is on the opening day roster. So you know if the Orioles were to bring back Colton Cowser on opening day next year and he somehow won rookie of the year, would it play a factor? Well, first of all. I like Colton Cowser. I don't know if he's the kind of player who would win Rookie of the Year, so it might not factor in as much for the Orioles. But if it did, he's very close to the cutoff right now. So there are two things that can get you to actually lose your rookie eligibility. Number one is reaching 130 at-bats. Now, it is weird the way it's worded on MLB.com. They say at-bats. You would think it would be plate appearances, right? But they say at-bats. So Colton Cowser right now is at 61 at-bats but he's at 77 plate appearances. So if it is at-bats, he's less than halfway there. And depending on how long he stays down, it could be tough to get to that number this season. But also, the other way you can lose rookie eligibility is actually by staying on the MLB roster for 45 days or more. This is how guys like Kyle Stowers and Taron Vavra lost their rookie eligibility last year because even though they didn't hit 130 at-bats, They were on the roster for a long time. Remember, they were kind of sitting for a while, didn't play too much. That was kind of happening to Kowser here. Kowser was actually on the MLB roster for 40 days before he was sent down. So he's only five days away. So essentially, if Kowser gets called up again at all, he's pretty much going to hit those 45 days and lose his rookie eligibility. Now, again, I don't think it's a huge thing because I really don't think he's going to be in that spot where he can get the OZA draft pick next year. You'd rather focus on this year anyway when you're trying to win a division and win a championship. And if Cows are going to help you, you get him back up here. But kind of that is where he stands on his rookie eligibility. And the final question to answer of the day comes from Mike. And this was my favorite question that I got in the mailbag. Thank you, Mike, who sent this one via email. It's a good hypothetical here. Mike said, if you could add three players from the dark years. So he, he said, from to 1998 to 2011, those bad, bad years where the Orioles did not have a winning season at all. And the three players had to be one starting pitcher, one relief pitcher, and one hitter. Who would you add to this 2023 Orioles team and why? And also, I guess, who would they replace? So let's start with the hitter. There's a couple good choices here. I looked at a Nick Marcakis' season in there. I looked at a Melvin Moore season in there. I think you know the one. I looked at a Brian Roberts season. But give me 2004 Miguel Tejada. I think I'd give him this roster spot over a guy like Adam Frazier. You'd kind of split the time at second base between Jordan Westberg and Ramon Arias. You'd play Gunnar Henderson at short, and you'd simply stick Miguel Tejada at third base. Or flip-flop him. Tejada at short and Henderson at third if you would like. Tejada in 2004 hit 311. With a 534 slugging, 894 OPS, 34 homers, 20 doubles, and 150 runs batted in to lead Major League Baseball. So right after the Orioles had acquired him, two years prior, he had won the AL MVP with the Oakland Athletics. He was at the height of his peak. And, you know, it was was a different game, what people were doing back then in Major League Baseball. But that kind of production, I mean, what this Orioles team doesn't have right now is like a big masher hitting home runs. And some of that has to do with the wall. But... Give me Miguel Taddeus 34 homers. I think that would help this Orioles offense immensely. My starting pitcher, there was that one Eric Bedard season, I think 2007, which makes you think about it, but there's really only one guy to go with here. It is Mike Mussina, and uh, you got three years to choose from. You know, his final three years with the O's were the first three years of the dark years, but I'll take his final year with the Orioles. Give me 2000 Mike Mussina. Number one reason why, he was the workhorse of all workhorses that year. Mike Mussina threw two hundred thirty-seven and two-thirds innings in two thousand in his walk year, in his final season with the Orioles. Had a three-seven-nine ERA. Remember, this was in steroid era, so a three-seven-nine ERA is like a two-seven-nine at this point. Two hundred ten strikeouts and finished sixth in American League Cy Young Award voting that year. Can you imagine? If you gave this Orioles team, which you know has some young arms, who are you know maybe you're starting to get worried about innings numbers and pitch counts, and you're already seeing it affect Tyler Wells as he's back down in AA and it could affect some more guys, to have a guy who's an ace type pitcher who can also throw you over 230 innings, that would be huge for this Orioles staff right now. Who would he replace on the roster? Uh, <laughs> It it doesn't matter. I mean, kind of anybody. I mean, maybe, you know, he would replace Cole Irvin. Maybe Irvin goes to the bullpen, six man rotation. Vespi goes to triple A, I guess, and Mike Mussina just tears it up. I mean, that would be incredible. And then my reliever, I'm going back to 2004. There were some good Orioles. Like 2004, 2005. 2005 was fun for a while. They were in first place in July, but like those teams finished very poorly. They had some very good players on those teams. Give me 2004 B.J. Ryan as my Orioles reliever. Now, this was actually the last year before he became the O's closer. He had only three saves in 2004. Then he had 30-plus saves each of the next few years. But he was actually at his best when he was like the O's eighth inning guy in 2004. 87 innings out of the bullpen for B.J. Ryan in 04. 2.28 ERA, 12.6 Ks per nine. Crazy elite, especially back then in that era. Yeah, 3.6 walks per nine, maybe a little concerning, but with the stuff B.J. Ryan had from the left side, he was ridiculous. You put him in this O's bullpen, you know, I guess he like replaces a guy like Nick Vespi at the end of the pen, but you put him in the eighth before Bautista, and then you can mix and match You know the Fujinamis and the Canoes and the Webs and the Baumans and the Perez's to get you there. That completely changes this Orioles pen. B.J. Ryan in the eighth, Felix Bautista in the ninth. You have to lead after seven. And especially if you add in the early season Cano, like you get to lead after six, just shut things down at that point. That's a ridiculous pen. Yeah. Give me Miguel Tejada, Mike Musina, and BJ Ryan to add to this team. And and thank you, uh, Mike, from email. That's a, a great question. That I had a lot of fun answering here. But that'll do it for the mailbag episode. Again, I will be back tomorrow. And we'll finally talk about some uh, very recent Orioles baseball on tomorrow's episode. Going to be recapping all three games, the entire Orioles Padres series that is coming up tomorrow. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.